And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, January 8th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, here with you. Thanks again to Todd Zola for jumping in last week. Uh, Eno, I have to ask because everybody's wondering, how was Hawaii? It was great. We did uh, one of those cruises where we went out to Captain Cook's Cove and uh, Calvin, the nine-year-old, did the high jump, uh, the high dive off of the boat. Off the boat. Okay. I, I thought maybe a cliff or something, but it, he's, he says he's never doing that again because he slapped both <laughs> his hands. <laughs> uh, it's great on the video. It looks like he's like changing his mind, but his cousin's like, nope. And like turns him back around. <laughs> it goes off. Um, yeah, but it was, it was a really quick trip though. Cause we were there for like four or five days. Saw, uh, Kevin Hastings and, nice. um, uh, and made a new friend uh, while I was out there. Uh, we had a little fantasy uh, beer sesh at Ola Brewing, so uh, that was that was fun. Nice. I uh, I did not go to Hawaii last week. I uh, enjoyed winter. <laughs> Froze your butt off. <laughs> hasn't been that bad yet. The worst is is yet to come. Uh, but um, yeah, I made other life choices that I regret, and uh, <laughs> I, I will learn from my mistakes. I will not go to Costco before a Packer game ever again in my entire life i don't care how much money i can save it does not matter it is irrelevant i will pay more and go somewhere else and hopefully go nowhere before packer games i forgot just how chaotic places are in wisconsin before a packer game especially an important one right if there's uh, playoff implications it doesn't matter any game people just cram all their stuff in before the game and go during the game record the first half go during the first half speed through the commercials totally empty Yes, that's that's the hack. I, I should know that by now. Lived here long enough, but uh, a lot's been happening around baseball. I think you got the you get the B sides of the moves. Todd and I had some big stuff to talk about last week between the Yamamoto and a few trades, but uh, this one came out of you know relative nowhere. I didn't really see Robbie Ray getting traded. He's going to the Giants for Mitch Haniger. There's a local writer who like totally called it. Really? Yeah, like almost like to the it was crazy like three weeks ago he was like i see the giants making a trade with like hanniger and ray and like because wow because i guess their salaries line up and so it makes sense for the mariners who've like constantly looking for hitting and have discovered all this pitching you know, to kind of shift some resources, uh, you know, towards their hitting. And that's kind of what their GM said about this trade. Yeah. And then the Giants, um, you know, struggles in free agency, well documented. More importantly, I think this puts them in a position once Ray's healthy to have a pitcher who's above the Duscafani, Alex Wood, uh, Sean Manaya cluster, right? It's, it's a, clearly a cut above that in terms of the the actual talent that Robbie Ray brings to the table it's probably not going to be 
any earlier than July, though, that we see him in games because he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. But there's still a few years left on his deal. So this is beyond a 2024 play. Uh, and the interesting thing here, too, Descalfani was so good in 2021, right? A 317 ERA, a 109 whip. He's had injuries in each of the last two seasons. It was an ankle in 2022. It was a flexor strain last year. Uh, so you bring him to Seattle and he could kind of fill in that last spot in the rotation. That's kind of the only thing that might be open in Seattle. Maybe he's even more of a swingman there. But the question I've had with him is like, will we ever see a season 80% as good from Anthony Descafani in terms of ratios as we saw back in, in 21? Because it's been a couple of rough years since. Yeah, the weird thing for me is that, you know, I think that his um, curveball is pretty good. And he's become basically a fastball slider guy. Uh, what I like about him is that he's definitely um, he's definitely a two-fastball guy. And those fastballs are around league average. So, you know... It's a wide arsenal. It could get wider if he throws his curveball more often. I don't know. Maybe the the sort of rise of the slider and the decline of the curveball are paired. So maybe he can't um, differentiate those really well mechanically. Because um, he's basically a slider is totally reverse, reversed uh, the usage of the curveball. Uh, but if he could figure that out, um, I think he could maybe return to uh, some of where he was before. Because then he would have two plus, not elite, breaking balls, two average fastballs, and a changeup. I mean, at the very least, he could be a kitchen sink type pitcher. Yeah, and it works in that park, especially. It's going from one pitcher-friendly environment to another. So I do think there's still some some deeper league appeal to Descafani, help-permitting as long as he goes into spring training without any sort of limitations. Maybe there's some some deep league appeal there. Um, Hanniger getting back to a familiar place well, also What do you seems- think his role is, though? I think he's probably like if everybody's if everybody's healthy, he's probably an extra starter for them most yeah. of the season, right? I mean, I think maybe you have some questions of how you're going to manage innings for the very back end of that rotation, but Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert, Bryce Miller, it's sort of Wu versus Dusclefani if there's a competition, but you'd take Wu over Dusclefani, I think, ten times out of ten, right? So I think he's the next guy up if they lose anybody, and maybe he's more likely to pitch in the first half than than Ray was, because Ray's chances were basically zero coming off Tommy John, but even Duscalfani is a a health question mark himself. Some of this is also a money-related thing, right? The Mariners wanted to free up cash later on, get away from salary obligations in the future. That's the weird thing for me. Robbie Ray has has an opt-out, so... I guess they, maybe they're just nervous that he would have a middling season and then just pick up the two years and fifty million left. Yep. But I almost feel like if he has a middling season, but he's healthy, maybe he would take the two twenty five. I don't know. I just feel like the Giants are like, yeah, we have money and we have money going in the future, so like we'll we'll take that we'll take that bet. But my bet is that he opts out. I think if he were healthier earlier in the year, I would be more confident in that. I think with a half season, it's a more difficult call to make. And especially, you know, for a guy that historically had issues with control and really over his last two full seasons in 21 and 22. What is he going to corrected that? Yeah. Yeah, Does he have it all the way back right away? Because the panic 
if Robbie Ray's walk rate comes back at 11 or 12% again, mm-hmm. just initially coming off surgery, I could see teams being very reluctant to give him a multi-year deal coming off the injury and only a half season's worth of innings. He'll be 33 next October. So there's there's a scenario in which he's healthy and pretty good but not great, and he just takes the next two years in San Francisco, pitches really well. When he comes back, he could add a year or two to that deal with the opt-out. There's a, a few different ways it could play out. Yeah, it could just turn into a negotiation where mm-hmm. they turn it into three and <clears throat> 60 or something like that. He gets a little bit more. So The other player involved in the deal, Mitch Hanniger, going back to Seattle, a place where he's had success before, even though we know it's a pretty difficult place to hit. Uh, I don't know what to make of him other than he, he just seems like he's got a horrible combination of bad luck and, and probably just... <laughs> it's not just bad luck with him, though. He's both injury-prone and unlucky. And yeah. you see it in the, the plate appearances. He's topped 300 plate appearances once in the last four seasons. That throws out 2020, the season where he was healthy enough to, to play a full season. He popped 39 homers in 2021. He was excellent from a power perspective. So the Mariners get a guy they're familiar with. They must be comfortable enough with the, the medicals to say, yeah, this is fine. And I just wonder, like skills-wise... We didn't see it on a per-game basis last year in the 61 games he played for the Giants. So what is left in the tank at this point for Mitch Hanniger? How much of a rebound can you reasonably expect? I mean, the the, the barrel rate is still there. The, the bad ball quality is still there. And he's more disciplined. In a way, he steps in for Teoscar Hernandez, um, who's later on our rundown, but... Uh, Number one in our hearts. Uh, the uh, the the chase rate is lower. The strikeout rate is usually lower, um, and I think the walk rate will be higher for Mitch Haniger going forward than it was for Teoscar Hernandez, because um, the way that Mitch explains it to me is that he thinks it's hard for him to make all the small adjustments that come with a nice walk rate and you know some of his better years when he's in and out of the lineup it's almost like the injuries have made him be a bench player you know what i mean and they've in effect his playing time has been that of a bench player uh because the injuries have just sort of kept him off the field in any sort of bulk fashion um I don't know. It, it could be a story that we tell ourselves, you know, um, or it, it could be part of why he hasn't been able to, when he's been on the field, uh, you know, put together the numbers that he's had in the past. I also think of like Joey Votto telling me like, I don't really want to talk about my stats right now because I'm hurt, you know? And so I think there's some aspect of Mitch, you know, trying to get back out there and not being a hundred percent. So uh, yeah, I guess Seattle's just rolling the dice that they get 2021 and not uh, 2022 and 2023. Uh, plus, they uh, got their Teoscar Hernandez replacement who may be able to make more contact, may be able to walk more, things that they've talked about wanting, and, they might, and they've got him for cheaper than Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah, yeah perfect lead-in, though, because uh, Teoscar Hernandez officially on the move. He is now going to the Dodgers. It's a one-year deal. $23.5 million. It's one of the bigger one-year deals I can remember. And it really gets him an opportunity to not only get more than he would have got if it were a qualifying offer situation, but if he mashes this year and just puts up gaudy numbers in this loaded Dodgers lineup, 
you could see a multi-year deal perhaps next winter for Teoscar. Uh, I think he's a really tricky player for me because the bottom can fall out so quickly when that K rate gets north of 30%. We saw it last year in Seattle. It still ended up being a good roto season, good enough anyway. It was 258 for the average, a 26 home run campaign, 93 homers, 70 runs scored, chipped in seven steals as well. You know, barrel rate's still there, 13.8% last year. Uh, he was more aggressive than ever, though, on pitches outside the zone. And that's the the kind of the underlying characteristic that you always look at with strikeout rate. And when you see something like that, when you see something that approaches the, the Javier Baez level of aggression, that's when you start to get nervous. If this was a team that I didn't think had it figured out, I would be running far, far away. The fact that the Dodgers went ahead and signed Teoscar Hernandez at least makes me intrigued by the possibility that the counting stats are just going to be absurd because of the quality of the lineup around him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key for me is the quality of the lineup around him because you talk about the Dodgers being, you know, uh, the second best team in walk rate, the second best team, um, I believe, uh, maybe it's like the third best team in chase rate. Um, this is the team that was second best in, in on base percentage. So it doesn't matter as much that Teoscar Hernandez swings from his heels and is super aggressive. In fact, he he's kind of the only guy like him now in this Dodgers lineup. Um, and so it's like, you know, why not have a wild card in there? Why not have somebody like Adolis Garcia that could just go white hot in the playoffs? And, you know, everybody else is more disciplined, but here's the guy that's just, he's he's, he's feeling it. And he's going for it, you know. Um, I also think that, you know, there's this this outfield situation there where, um, you know, they can put him in the best situations that are possible. Last year, he was league average against righties. I'm not saying that he's going to sit against righties, um, but they can, you know, and they probably will sit him against maybe tougher righties. I don't know how, what sort of rubric they'll come up with. Maybe... Uh, righties with great command uh, will be somebody that they set him against. They'll have some sort of modeling of how his skills fit against different types of pitchers, and they will sit him sometimes because you've got Tasker Hernandez, Chris Taylor, James Altman, Manny Margot, uh, Jason Hayward, and even Mookie Betts uh, that can play out in the outfield. I think Betts is going to be basically their second baseman now, but uh, you can still play Betts in the outfield. That's six quality outfielders that they're going to piece together it's going to reduce all of their fantasy upsides um and probably i'd say the most that any of those non-betsy and outfielders gets in terms of plate appearances what 500 550 uh, and it's probably teoscar but I, I doubt it goes uh past that yeah, and you look at Teoscar Hernandez's history. I mean, the 678 he racked up for the Mariners last year was a career high in plate appearances. Not surprising. That's a pretty high total anyway. Uh, 595 was the previous high water mark for the Blue Jays back in 2021. That's probably where he would top out with the Dodgers. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily need to get to 678 to be a great fantasy player, though. Again, like the per game numbers might be really, really good. Looking at the splits and some of the things he has struggled with. He had a minus 11 run value against sliders last season, uh, minus five back in 2022, 
I wonder if you say righties with nasty sliders are, yeah. are one of the things that you're kind of keeping Teoscar Hernandez away as you mix and match on a, on a week-to-week basis there. Yeah, I mean, for his career, the slider is the worst pitcher uh, by pitch values. Um, he's a positive against every other pitch for his career. So that that looks like a, a rubric that might work. Um, it, it, it takes, in, in weekly leagues, it takes a little bit of value away because you won't necessarily get the most robust, you know, 600 plus Marcus Simeon type, you know, playing time numbers. Um, but uh, I, it may help him keep that batting average afloat. Maybe he'll have more of a 260, 270 um, batting average if he's avoiding the guys that give him the most trouble. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe he'll he'll do well and better in the, the games he's in and kind of have the same amount of value, just in a different shape. Yeah, I'm curious to see just how much the ADP creeps up. I think Hernandez, if you look at where he's been going in just the January drafts over at the NFBC, the range is pick 123 to pick 183. It's about 11 drafts, so 150 sort of the, the average mark for him. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, who we just talked about with similar skills, but obviously a very, very disappointing injury history in recent years, has a range of 330 to 513. Mm. So, you know, the injury discount there is very real. Um, I think I would be in at the current price on Teoscar, but not a must-grab sort of player, and I'm I'm just worried the price creeps up to the point where he's not necessarily a fair price player once we get to drafts here in the uh, next couple months. The benefit the lineup gives him around him, the benefit of the way they might use him for his stats also is a detriment to his runs in RBI. So it's nice that he's in a good lineup, but there won't he won't be in that good lineup as much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think the interesting thing too is like you you lose a little bit of playing time, but you could see the average tick up if you're using him in spots where he's more likely to be successful. Maybe he hits 270 or 280 instead of yeah. 250. So it could end up being a slight net bump in value, even with a little bit of a reduction in playing time ceiling. Uh, one other Teoscar Hernandez nugget to pass along. Did you know he's 82nd percentile in sprint speed? I mean, he isn't he doesn't he also have a really strong arm? Yep. He's yeah. tooled up. Like he's he's And yet he's like a DH player. a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I mean he's probably going to be mostly in right when he plays defense for the Dodgers. I imagine we'll see a lot of Outman in center. You mentioned Chris Taylor sort of in pass. I think Chris Taylor's playing time is just down. Yeah, I mean, he's he's another righty, and he's more of an outfielder, and I don't think he can play short as well as he used to, and that's their biggest need defensively. The Mariners' depth chart is a little bit interesting. Um, They had another sort of minor set of deals other than the Robbie Ray one um, where they got Luke Rayleigh from the Rays for their backup shortstop, Jose Caballeros. Yeah, and yeah, pretty interesting swap. That had something to do with what did that have to do with? That had to do with losing Teoscar and and Kelnick Worth, too. And Kelnick, that's it. So because of the Kelnick trade, they were they didn't have an outfielder. So now their outfield is Luke Rayleigh, Julio Rodriguez, Mitch Haniger, but that leaves the door open uh, for a fair amount of time uh, on the field maybe for either Cade Marlowe or Dominic Canzone do you like either of those young guys better 
Canzone's minor league numbers are just absurd. I've been kind of hoping he'd get a big side platoon role. This does not help, even though it's still possible. I look at this depth chart, and if you're a Mariners fan, I understand your frustration because it just it just seems like seven moves to do one oh little thing. God. Like it's just the amount of effort put in to move forward a foot just seems extraordinary. Very inefficient, right? Like I, I, I'd like, I like a lot of the things they've done in this organization. How can you not like the pitching, right? They, they've loaded right. rotation. They do a great job supporting it with a loaded bullpen. You got a couple of really nice position players. I mean, you have one superstar and Julio. Cal Raleigh's been a great story. I thought Mitch Garver signing was fine. You know, like- I liked Garver as a DH. I did. I, I thought that was a nice addition. But you look at. You know, Josh Rojas is atop the depth chart at second base. Luis Arias at third. Like they're still missing something in this lineup. Even if you want to say that J.P. Crawford is mostly the guy he was last year, okay, fine. You still need more in this lineup for sure. And then now you're mixing and matching in the outfield with a couple of injury-prone guys, platoon guys, some unproven players. Like why? Why not just push more in? Like I know it's a it's a financial constraint from ownership that's kind of keeping things tighter than they need to be, but are they getting better even though they're constantly making moves and and trying to shake things up? It's exactly what I was going. Like, I was looking at this death chart, and in my mind, like, I know it's not the same death chart as last year, but I can't get any more excited about this death chart than I was last year. I'm just like, it still feels the same. (laughs) I mean, the names are all different, but... It still feels the same. I don't know. I, I'm like, okay, they still have holes, you know, uh, at the back of that lineup. They still have holes on that infield. They now have five to eight million dollars to spend uh, on that hole in the infield. And the players that are in that grouping are Josh Donaldson, Adam Frazier, who they already tried, Whit Merrifield, who's just like a more expensive Adam Frazier, Ahmed Rosario, who's like, I. I don't even know how to classify him right now. I think he's going to go to someone who needs a shortstop, uh, but he, I don't know if he is a shortstop. And then like the one I like the most, Justin Turner, well, his predicted average annual value is $12 million. Mm-hmm. So after all that money cutting, you know, I don't actually see them getting Turner. So uh, you just might as well put Josh Donaldson in the, on that team right now. And, sigh a large sigh (laughs) the disappointment from mariners fans if they do that is going to be palpable Uh, i'm looking at the projections right now that you know the team projections page is sorting by wrc plus julio is kind of in a class of his own 137 he's the star ty france who is at driveline this winter is their second best hitter by wrc plus garver's third at 115 similar to france J.P. Crawford at 114, Raleigh at 111. I mean, tons of thump, just a low OBP that sort of drags down his overall offensive profile. And then it's Canzone at 108, Luke Rayleigh at 104, Urias at 104, Hanniger at 102. Like They're deep. I think if we did this exercise this time last year, you'd see numbers that were like two to five points lower at each of those spots. So you, like they're they're better. But they're better in a way that is so marginal. <laughs> <laughs> Two points of WRC plus better. 
Our, our projection after is up one trades. and a half wins <laughs> after all these moves. Like, okay, there's a lot of effort, but if that's yeah. the way you're going to have to operate, I guess that's going to work. Uh, you asked me who you, who I liked out of that group. I mean, I, I, I picked Canzone. Canzone over Marlowe, but are you with me on Canzone, or do you prefer Marlowe, or do you prefer somebody else? Yeah, I, I like Canzone. I mean, it's just at this point, he's also a left-hander, you know? So uh, you've got uh, Julio, who's not going to be platooned. And then you've got Rayleigh, who is a left-hander. So, uh, you know, if they fully platoon Mitch Hanniger, then Kenzone, uh, you know, there's, I guess, a, a, a two-thirds playing time share there for him to pull. But um, I don't know if they are going to do that. So that leaves Kenzone hoping to get 300 plate appearances this year. Yeah, I think the way I would look at it from a drafting early perspective is I'm not drafting Dominic Canzone. I'm thinking about picking him up during the season when injuries open up more time. But yeah. that's that's the current way to do it. Even Rayleigh, I think, is like that for me too. I don't know if I have a lot of interest in Rayleigh, even though there's there's value in his bat as a, a part-time guy. He, he hits the ball hard, and, and, and that's great. But when you look at a 20% swinging strike rate and a, and a 30-plus percent strikeout rate, and then a, a and of a, a fairly robust fly ball rate, then this 330 batting average on balls in play that he had last year sticks out as you know being prime for regression, and so that's uh, going to push if he if he also starts you know striking hitting more fly balls you know or striking out more both things are possible. You could really see a guy with like a 208 average hitting some you know hitting some some jacks but like you know will how many how many will the stadium take away from him too um you know i guess tampa is also a uh a defense friendly pitching environment but it doesn't rob homers the same way it just increases strikeouts and does other things so um i like rayleigh but he's also 29 and coming off his best season his his career could could be short interesting thing too about Rayleigh 87th percentile on sprint speed no hit 14 way. bags last year no way. yeah like a better runner I didn't realize he had the 14 bags um, I, I do think if you're looking at Rayleigh versus Canzone like which one is higher in their current pecking order for playing time it's probably Rayleigh yeah um, so you have to consider that too if you're eyeballing that and saying who's more likely to get that large side platoon opportunity first that's where I think that opportunity falls. I guess Rayleigh could uh, so France did not have a great year and so I, I, I guess there is a, a world in which they're ever all healthy but France is struggling he becomes more of a backup Rayleigh plays first and Ken Zone plays in the outfield that possible. Would, I think that would be better defense Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The other side of this trade, Jose Caballero, uh, surprising infielder that popped up for the Mariners last year, goes to the Rays. It seems like it's all kind of a glove speed profile. Is there anything in the underlying numbers with the bat that that you think made him uh, a good fit for the Rays? No, I mean, I, I think it's just a, a situation of need uh, there. The, the news on Wander Franco just continues to get worse. It's... Um, just awful all around, really, and you know, I, I don't, I don't think people should be expecting Wander Franco to play Major League Baseball anytime soon. No, it doesn't. And doesn't sound like that's going to happen ever again, based on details that are come out to this point. That's that would be my read on it too. And so Taylor Walls, um, you know, had uh, hip problems last year, uh, and he's on track to be ready for the uh, beginning of the season. But he's also projected to be, you know, 10 plus percent worse than league average with the stick. There's some things he's done where you think, well, maybe he could break out, but he's 27 at this point and he hasn't really done anything exciting. Caballero is also 27, but he was closer to league average. It's a slightly different sort of uh, package, but uh, in that he doesn't really hit the ball that hard. And uh, he doesn't walk as much as Taylor Walls, but he walks a certain amount. So I think, I think he's the starting shortstop. I think Walls is the utility guy. Is where I'm looking at this, but I don't think that either of them is somebody you really want to roster in most fantasy leagues. Yeah, we saw Oslavius Basabe get a chance last year uh, after Wander was placed on administrative leave, so I think he's still an option for them too. I know Junior Caminero, theoretically, like you play him on the left side of the infield. I just don't think defensively that's where he goes. I, I don't, I don't see that being But he is still so young at 19 that maybe they say we play him at shortstop when he's super young and athletic, and then he's obviously going to move off the position at some point. But, you know, ages 20 and 21, we can handle him at short. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, that is a, a possibility where neither Walls or Caballero, Basabe is back in the minors, Caballero and Walls are kind of utility guys, and the most most often starting infield is Paredes, Caminero, Brandon Lowe, and uh, Yandy Diaz. It's, that is a possibility, but I think this trade says to me they wanted to go get a starting shortstop. Yeah, and if you just sort of punt that spot and say, hey, it's all glove, he's our nine hitter, he could steal some bases, get on base a little bit, we're fine with that. That plays mostly as a mono-league sort of player, right? Caballero in AL-only leagues could be fine if the playing time is there. Maybe for the draft and hold purposes, he works there as well, if you think that playing time is going to be there. Um, if you're if you're lucky, maybe you could get a, a Geraldo Perdomo-type season out of him. I, I, like, I think that's that's sort of like a reasonable roto comp. Yeah, because he has, like Perdomo, he has good uh, plate discipline. And so he might get himself to 15 homers or whatever just on being like, hey, I only pretty much swing at, good, at pitches in the zone. You know what I mean? Like, I have a pretty good approach. So 
the even if the bat the bat speed isn't plus like some of the other things are pretty good but i will have to say that the rays in terms of like a team construction like i know that it's cool uh to prioritize defense up the middle um and you know there are teams that have won world series there are teams that have done really well that do this um but to me we're talking about such zeros offensively at catcher short and center am i being too rough on siri let me i'm gonna check his page real quick siri he was better than league average last year's i know he has that that thump but I mean, he's predict he's projected to be less than league average, and that's how I see him. So I see those three as being like pretty big holes in the lineup. So that's three full holes in your lineup. That means that like you know every second or third inning, you're just putting up a zero. I think we talked about it with the Giants at the point last year when it was like Casey Schmidt was up, Luis Matos was up, and uh, Patrick Bailey was up. And, you know, okay, defensively, sure, this is all going to work. But there were concerns that at least two of those guys weren't going to hit right away and possibly three. And, yeah, it's kind of like you're saying, if you have three players in your lineup like that, series dangerous because of the power that yeah. clearly can can do damage. 25 homers last year and just 364 plate appearances. Like so one of the hoping... most bizarre lines though, right? Like a 267 oh OBP is yeah. horrendous. 35% K rate with a near 40% O swing. Like th- it's a lot like Brett Phillips in some ways, but with the like, tons of power that he gets to Phillips yeah. never had power like that in the big leagues. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that. Um, I guess with this, you say, okay, series going to run in, run into, you know, 20, 25 homers and, uh, Caballero and walls are going to walk 10% of the time. So even though they are, you know, below average offensively, they will do some things, you know, if you get one walk or one Homer out of those three, maybe even two walks and a homer out of those three and you know in or two walks and x-rays hit out of those three in in the average game then you feel like well that's not a complete zero you know they helped turn the lineup over they you know and then defensively they were plus so i guess that's the thinking and also like if you're a team like the rays who don't have a lot of money at some point you have to be like well where where can we punt punt something (laughs) You know, and just like being like, well, we're not going to be able to afford Cody Bellinger or Trey Turner or JT Real Muto on the open market, right? So let's just have cheap young defenders up the middle. I think there's always, you know, the they're probably not done cloud hanging over the Rays at any given time when you look at their depth chart. And the same could probably be said of the Mariners for what it's worth, just given how active these teams are. But they made another trade to add an outfielder, this one from the Cardinals. Richie Palacios gets added to the Rays outfield mix. Andrew Kittredge, a nice get for the St. Louis bullpen. We'll start with the Palacios side of this. Palacios, I'm going to ask kind of the same question I asked with Caballero, knowing I'm going to get a pretty different answer. Because you can you can see some of the similarities in Palacios' approach and tools that make you understand like, how he fits their mold. Like You can pull the ball in the air. That alone could give him some value. You could see him as a big side platoon guy potentially too, right? I mean, that's that's where that's where I think Richie Palacios could be pretty fun. 
But I also wonder when you start to look at the outfielders they've piled up. Like you bring back Seer, you get a lot from Lowe in a platoon role last year. You get Johnny DeLuca back as part of the trade you made with the Rays that sent Glass now to Los Angeles. Now you've got Palacios. Like, does this open the door for Randy Arozarena to get flipped? Because that was rumored as a possibility for most of the winter. And now it kind of feels like we're getting closer to them having enough other outfielders where they could actually do it. Yeah, that, that has been so long the rumor that I've, I've almost sort of given up on it. I think in terms of uh, depth charting, uh, you know, Harold Ramirez becomes um, a little bit um, redundant in certain ways because when I look at Richie Palacios and what he can do, a lot of it looks similar to Harold Ramirez. Not going to walk a lot, makes a lot of contact, hits, you know, just enough, hard enough, uh, you know, though Harold Ramirez hits the ball harder than, than Palacios right now. But maybe Palacios can kind of grow into a Harold Ramirez type. And then Palacios is going to hit, um, is going to have better glove because Harold Ramirez is already moving to DH. So, um, you know, I, I could see Palacios putting some pressure on Harold Ramirez's bat um, if they don't make a Rosarena trade. If they do make a Rosarena trade, I would assume that they would want an infielder and maybe a shortstop. So I think the Caballero trade says a Rosarena's in Tampa for another year. I mean, they need him as they're currently built because he's a huge, huge part of what they're going to do for run production. And I think part of the why did they make these moves, what's going on, Caballero still has three option years left. According to Roster Resource, Luke Rayleigh has zero. Uh, Richie Palacios has one option left. They love that flexibility. That's a huge part of it. Uh, As far as Kittredge goes, and thinking about this Cardinals bullpen, how do you see him fitting into their late inning mix? Uh, you know, I think a big question is just how, how healthy he is. We've seen, uh, his fastball velo kind of jump around a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, if he's throwing 96s and 97s, um, you know, if he's, if he's striking out, if he, like he got 16% whiffs in 2021, that was a really nice year. Um, but the, the strikeouts have really fallen since then, but if he's doing, sort of vintage Kittredge, I think he can push into setup role or right in the back there. But um, I do think for it's still Ryan Helsley is the closer. Gallegos and J.J. Romero are the setup men. And Kittredge is uh, a wild card maybe for them. Yeah, more of a bridge guy to the ninth inning as opposed to someone that's going to compete for that role because Brian Helsley has that job so long as he is healthy. Uh, oh, one last thing on Palacios, too. If you had to pick one just for straight up five by five value in 2024, Palacios versus Luke Rayleigh with the Rays moving on from Rayleigh and Palacios sort of taking his place in that Rays roster, who do you think is actually the better five by five player this year? I'm going to take Rayleigh. I know that. Uh, there's some risk going on to a new team, going into that uh, hitting environment. But right now, Palacios is uh, kind of in that Manny Margot-ish territory for me where, you know, if he gets 375 plate appearances, he's going to be useless in most leagues. I am cautiously taking Palacios, which is just... Ah, you you like that he can steal and... 
yeah, he can run a little bit. I think there's just a few more ways for just just as many ways for Rayleigh's playing time to be a little bit of a problem. Even mm-hmm. though Palacios has those options left, we only saw him for 32 games with the Cardinals. Popped the six homers, had a couple of steals, put together a nice line at AAA. I don't think he's gonna hit the ball on the ground as much as he did in his brief time in the big leagues. Like over time, I think he's more of a 45% ground ball rate guy instead of a 52, 53% ground ball rate sort of player. That's mostly because he's demonstrated those ground ball rates in the minors. So, you know, I think it's important. There's been some research that was put out there, and I wish I could uh, attribute it right, but um, there was, I saw some interesting research about like how often uh, young players change their ground ball rates, and it's not that often. Um, but he, his demonstrated ground ball rate in the minors is different than what he's done in the majors, and I don't think 225 plate appearances into a major league experience, you can quite say, oh yeah, he has a ground ball problem. And you look back at his plate skills, good really everywhere he's been, going all the way back to his time in the Guardians organization a few years ago. He can walk, doesn't strike out a lot, doesn't chase. It's a lot of things that Richie Palacios does well. I think he's going to find a surprising amount of playing time after this move to Tampa Bay. Uh, Let's talk about the Mets, you know. The Mets are getting on the board. They're acting a little bit like the Giants right now, which isn't a total shock just given what they started to do at the trade deadline a few months back. And uh, Sean Manaya signed a two-year deal with the Mets over the weekend. It does have an opt-out after this season. So if he pitches well, there's a very good chance we're talking about him either getting a multi-year deal somewhere else or maybe getting some kind of extension with the Mets. Uh, and Manaya has spent most of his career pitching in very pitcher-friendly environments. So that, that continues. The thing I'm wondering about is just whether we see him get regular usage again. Because the uh, the way the Giants used him was pretty frustrating throughout last season. He made 37 total appearances, but only 10 came as an actual starter. Yeah, it was uh, frustrating to all involved, I think. But, you know, Manaya was changing. One thing that he did in the offseason was add Velo at driveline. It was his first real uh, foray into having arm care routines like that and to into weighted balls and stuff like that. So he showed the Velo boost and then... Halfway through the season, he he kind of went from a regular slider to a sweeping slider to a sweeper, and that's that coincided with you know more of his starts, more of his good run, um, and I think that's what the the Mets are betting on. I was saying, thinking to myself, oh, it's kind of weird that you know here's a guy who threw a, a sweeper as a left-hander and uh, you know and got better. Um, the sweepers ha- have bad platoon splits. So I was thinking, well, isn't he just seeding a, a big platoon split on that slider to, to all the righties he's facing? But the old slider had a 500-plus slugging percentage against it in the first couple months of the season. And even if you look against right-handers, the sweeper had a 208 slugging. So yes, the sweeper was worse against righties than it was against lefties, but it was overall such a better pitch that it didn't matter that the platoon split was there. So uh, I think that you have to think that this sweeper is a good thing for Shamanaya and a good thing for the Mets and that he's... The Mets also need him to be a starting pitcher. I don't see them having the types of uh, Jake Junis types of pitchers Unless they're going to use Tyler McGill in that role where he just comes and steals three innings from a Mania start, 
that's a possibility um, because McGill has options left and so does David Peterson. I kind of feel like they're going to keep their six starters in the minors. So you're depending on Joey Lucchese if you think that Sean Manaya is going to be a guy that pitches three innings at a time. You're thinking Joey Lucchese comes in behind him, and I I wouldn't want to depend on Joey Lucchese. So I think Sean Manaya is going to be a regular pitcher. I think he's going to throw 160 innings, and it's going to be like a 3.75, 3.8 type ERA, uh, and he's going to be useful for the Mets and in a lot of fantasy situations. Um, but, you know, his changeup's not that good. And um, he's never, he's just never really demonstrated for a full season the kind of peripherals that I'd want out of like a, a top end pitcher, if you know what I mean. I wonder if we can more realistically hope for 2021 as a do over again. A 391 area, 123 whip. That was his final year with the A's. Uh, just over a strikeout per inning. That would play. I, I think mm-hmm. the Mets would be pretty happy with that if you told them that's what they signed on for. It'd probably be enough to get him his opt-out uh, exercise, too, and get him more money next winter. But uh, the velo bump makes him pretty interesting to me right now, outside the top 300 overall pretty consistently. Even if he creeps up a couple of rounds, I think he could do pretty well there. In leagues where you just home want to buy innings, like in a draft and hold or something, I think he's pretty useful. Yeah, I think... So I was looking back. We ran a survey last year to look at the types of leagues that our listeners play in, and... About 90% of the leagues that our listeners play in are 12 teams or smaller. And I think Sean Manaya in in New York, in that park, is still actually 12-team viable. He'd be one of your last pitchers on the roster. Might be a guy you cut and pick up a couple of times. But I think he actually has enough in this situation where you would actually consider him in that yeah, that's format. That's pretty good. He landed a good spot for his skills. Yep. They've also got uh, Harrison Bader there as a, a signing. Uh, he got about the same deal as Kevin Kiermeyer, which is what I a- expected. And in fact, um, you know, he and Kevin Kiermeyer re- represented a very rare thing in that you can improve your center field defense with the free agent with the, in the free agent market. It's very, kind of rare. To be able to improve defense up the middle at uh, at center shorter catcher in free agency, I think is super rare. So I think they took that chance because Brandon Nimmo, for me, uh, profiles a little better defensively in the corner outfield. Um, and with a one-year deal, they're still in on the Soto sweepstakes next year <laughs> if they want to be. Um, and so, you know, the only people uh, signed for too long in that outfield uh, are uh, is basically Nimmo because uh, Marte is Stanley Marte is a free agent in 2026. That's not actually uh, too too long of a deal right now. So um, yeah, I think uh, Bader is a good uh, stopgap situation for them. And what they're in a re- weird place as an organization. I read them as sort of treading water. They want to be competitive because it's still an expensive roster. It's still uh, a, a premium location in terms of uh, new york and the nl east they want they want to do their best but the, I, I also see them kind of uh, wanting to bring up some of these young players that'll uh, allow them to 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 sign the sotos basically and uh, so i kind of see this year as a little bit of treading water for the mets pretty easy for them i think to 
take most of what they have, maybe add one or two more small pieces and say, you know what, we're good enough to make the playoffs. And then if things are tracking that way, we can certainly add some payroll midseason, which opens up tons of possibilities for you to get upgrades. And if we're not good, we've still got some guys, you know, Pete Alonzo will be a free agent after the 2024 season. Um, Marte would be a guy that if he's healthy, you could probably flip to a contender. You'll have some bullpen pieces. You'll have some starters that are back-end type guys that'll move. Just just sell in July and keep rebooting. Like it's not it's not a big deal. Like they can they can play the middle the way they're set up right now, and the moves they're making are kind of setting them up to do that pretty effectively. Um, looking at the way the depth chart moves around, this puts Jeff McNeil really back in that infield group instead of being in part of the corner outfield mix because with Nimmo. With Nimmo, you expect him to play pretty much every day. So yeah, as long as Bader's healthy, that's sort of the, the key, right? That's been every conversation we've ever had about Harrison Bader was, well, maybe if he stays healthy and, and maybe if he takes all of his skills from his best years and smushes them together, it's a lot of maybes. I think when you look at Bader from a skills perspective, even if he stayed healthy for 600 plate appearances, which I don't think he will, it's like a 10 homer, 30 steal profile with a low average, low OBP. It's fine. It's okay, but it's more of a deeper league sort of player whose glove carries the playing time. He was better when he was kind of a patient, um, a, a guy who walked and struck out and uh, hit for more power. I mean, he was yeah. better. <laughs> like the numbers don't lie. He was above uh, average with the stick when he did that. When he became this more aggressive contact, uh, you know, searching um you know softer hitting version of himself he hasn't been an above uh league average stick uh you know in that with that profile so i would just show him the numbers if i was his hitting coach and being like why don't we hit for power dude well now he's in a park that makes it a little more difficult yeah it does <laughs> that's the, the downside something i might have showed him in new york i guess at uh, the other yes, new york during his time there yeah, yeah, that would have been uh, optimal to try and, and work it in. Then you mentioned it sort of in passing. Kevin Kiermaier goes back to the Blue Jays. They also added Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. It's amazing. Those two signings didn't get quite as much attention as the, the possibility of, of adding Shohei oh, Otani. They did get some attention, just uh, uh, more of the negative sort. I mean, I, what would you do if you were trying to con- continue making this window as productive as it can be? What would be the move right now with the players currently off the board? I don't know. I, I, I'm a little worried that Cody Bellinger is a, is a trap in terms of how much money he wants and the, we've talked about his skill set and all that. But in some ways, it makes the most sense for them because, you know, Varsho is a, is a good defender, a really good defender in center. You don't necessarily need the defense up the middle. So you could, if you get Bellinger, you have two center fielder types, at least in the very short-term future, and you get more offense, I would assume, uh, from Bellinger than Kiermaier and Kiner-Falefa. Uh, I, I, sometimes I think that people uh, get really excited about things like, oh, roster flexibility. Let's have backups at every position on the roster. Um, and then you kind of forget you already have that in Santiago Espinal. <laughs> so yep. like, wh- why do you need to double that up? This team to me seems like it's a team that could use another star, you know? Uh, and whether or not you get, that's why they were so in deep on the Otani deal. It's like, yeah, another star is, is where it's at. Um, 
Right now, the fifth and sixth starters are Manoa and Tiedemann. Uh, you know, that's fine. You know, they're before Kiner Falefo, they're, they're back up everywhere with Espinal. That's fine. Before Kiermeyer, their center fielder was Varsho. That's fine. Why not, you know, get a, a bigger name if you were already had that money, you know, sort of thought about for Otani? So maybe they just didn't like what's out there. Maybe they're still going to sign Chapman. You know, it does seem like they they have one more roof, like, you know, in their holster. Um, but it's not obvious where it's going to be now that they've kind of filled the depth chart. You know, like, what if they do sign Chapman? Does that mean they have to release Biggio? Or Biggio becomes an outfielder? It starts to actually become... Like a crowded depth chart, if you do that, right? Like, it, like don't they start? You start being like, well, okay, on our twenty-six man roster, who's on there? Like, they won't keep a DH then. Like, and they got a Kirk handful of guys that still have options, like David Schneider options, Biggio options. I'm surprised he still has. Biggio has three, an option. Apparently. It says uh, he has three on roster resource, which is kind of surprising. I guess when he came up and debuted, where... he was productive, and he never went. He never really went down. Yeah, but at 28, isn't there a moment where um, you, you can might refuse, yeah. literally have options, but you you can refuse them? Yeah, yeah. If you get enough service time, yeah, you can refuse them. I'm you got Spencer Horowitz, you got Espinal has options. So you got a few guys in that mix that you could send down. I guess if you sign Chapman, you push Kiner Falefa to like fourth outfielder type, and you don't keep a regular DH. I think that's how you can make this roster work. Yeah. It's, it's I weird. don't know. I just I want to see them do something splashy because they've got too many they got too many Frankenstein players on the roster, too many spots that they're trying to mix and match and play that flexibility game with as uh, as you said a few moments ago. A few other recent moves and notes getting caught up on the last couple of weeks. I'm going to run through these. You let me know if these have any interest to you whatsoever. How about Cody Morris to the Yankees for Estevan Florial? No, I I don't care. They they uh, Florial was like on waivers. They could have just claimed him. I couldn't weird. believe like that they wanted Florial, but then they didn't end up just keeping and playing Will Benson. And obviously, the worst decision was seemingly trading Nolan Jones, given what Nolan Jones did in Colorado last year. But I can't quite figure out what the Guardians uh, what they like in hitters, like what what their actual plan really is there. Morris getting a fresh start is fine. I just want to see him stay healthy because I think he could at least be a pretty good reliever. Jake Lamb gets a NRI invite with the Pirates. It just seems like he's more of a organizational backup type player at this stage of his career. Shelby Miller to the Tigers. You got Luis Patino to the Padres. Anything with either of those moves? Miller has popped in in small samples as uh, being a decent reliever and. Uh, I would say that there's uh, some opportunity in that uh, bullpen. Yeah, that is that is a great way to sum up the Tigers' bullpen right now. <laughs> opportunities available, high leverage opportunities are available. I mean, it's not impossible that he becomes the closer. <laughs> he could get saves. I don't know if I'd project more than like eight to ten right now, but who who else in that bullpen really would like you project eight to ten saves for? Yeah. Like, Foley, Vest, Chafin's back there. Miguel Diaz, Lang, Lang is the guy, but Lang last year had a 16% walk rate. That's pretty large. 
kind of want to see what Bo Brisky does in a, as a full season reliever. I think he might be pretty good out of the pen. So maybe there's yeah. the other sleeper for the Tigers uh, relief core. But yeah, Shelby Miller, non-zero chance of being the like a consistent closer for an improving Tigers team based on the way that depth chart is built right now. Uh, Austin Nola goes to the Brewers with an NRI. I mean, I think the Brewers' long-standing ability to make catchers better defensively makes Nola kind of interesting, but he's a backup there as you know, William well, Contreras it's goes. interesting also that Eric Haas is there because mm-hmm. that's a guy that had been being moved off of catcher. So if they can improve his defense, they could. Uh, they might even have a surplus. <laughs> yeah. Francisco Mejia and Zach Plesak end up with the Angels. Okay. <laughs> it's just not, that, that's a fact. That is something that happened. Uh, I have no no commentary on this. Uh, Chris Flexen, Brett Phillips, and Martin Maldonado among the recent additions by the White Sox. Oh man! If you if you think that the Tigers bullpen has some opportunity, the White Sox seem to embody that as a team ethos. <laughs> I mean, you've got I think shortstop is fully open. Second base is fully open. I know there's people on top of those depth charts, but like, yeah, I would say that right field is fully open. I saw an interesting debate happening in the White Sox Twitter about Oscar Colas, who's 25. Yes, that's okay. And a left-hander and has had some really good minor league numbers, um, but has also uh, given us a fairly good look uh, at the major leagues and has shown us not like like really poor contact ability. That's something you can tell in smaller samples. Um, you know, doesn't turn his his raw power into game power because he hits too many grounders and and poor defense. So maybe the poor defense is lying to us in a small sample. Um, but I don't think he's going to be much uh, better than league average at best. Um, and so even his spot on the depth chart, I think, is uh, attainable for somebody. So, yeah, I think Oscar Colas, Nicky Lopez, and Paul DeYoung are the starters. But if you're in a keeper league or a real deep league, like get to know the people underneath them because all three of those guys are not so great. I think obviously the big name is Colson Montgomery. My kid has been reading the Baseball America magazine that we get, and uh, apparently there was a Corey Seager uh, comparison in there somewhere. So ah, he's very excited about Colson Montgomery. <laughs> okay, I'm excited about Colson Montgomery too. So uh, at least two of us within yeah. the uh, Rates and Barrels podcast family excited about that. Yeah, the the White Sox like I think they keep adding players that actually bring their WAR down. Like usually, usually any move you make just moves you up the chart. And I I swear like, they've dropped a spot or two, and it's not because the teams below them added anybody. It's because the guys they're adding are. Are negative players are less valuable than the previous options that were the on three that names chart. that I gave you uh, are projected for combined. Uh, oh, this is going to be good. Three players projected for a combined one win, one above replacement. So, yeah, you know, average would be six. Well, hey, they're doing things their way, so I. Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be a rough year uh, on on the south side of Chicago. I think most people expect it to be. Like, what what are you excited about? Well, you could watch Luis Robert and the hopefully Dylan a healthy trade. Eloy. But yeah, we'll see what the, we'll see what that brings. Right? I, I was I was not in on Dylan Cease the year he broke out, 
So I was definitely not in on Dylan Cease last year when he came kind of crashing back to earth. I, I don't know how excited this is the I'd year be. to be in on him. You, you think this is the year to be back in? Yeah, I think so. Or if for me, in for the first time. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to sell you on him. He's the league leader in swords, a, a new stat on Baseball Savant. Uh, which is, is that from the pitching ninja, like the actual so, like yeah, hitter getting into a, a sword position? It's the yeah the pitcher. It, it's uh, pitches on which the batter like. Um, Swings at something that's in the dirt, you know, like swings that yeah. does an awful swing. Uh, so yeah, the sword, <laughs> ugly I, swings he, induced swords, love it. Yeah, so I mean, I just think he he's a high stuff guy that you know, real low command. Um, but given all that, like w- we talk about, wow, are we in on Edward Cabrera or not this year? And Edward <laughs> Cabrera is like fifteen percent walk rate. It's like sometimes you just got to look at strikeouts and walks and be like cease struck out you know nearly like basically over the last three years cease has struck out 30 percent of the batters he's seen and walked 10 percent. that's really good you know yeah and it's that, more like that, a right-handed snell profile yes there you go that's a really good one yeah so i'm in you know i think this will be a rebound season for him i the one asterisk is like i kind of want to know where he's going i, I just you know, a lot of walks in the AL East in Yankee Stadium. Fenway. Mm. Yeah. But uh, those aren't the only places he's rumored aren't going. So This is true. Uh, last little bit of news as we wrap up things here. Uh, Starling Marte, who I think came up in the conversation earlier, has been playing in the Dominican Winter League. So some good news there for him on the health front as he tries to put together a healthier campaign in 2024. And we didn't talk about them as we went by, but... Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor were acquired by the Mets. Coleman Crow, an injured minor league pitcher, went back to the Brewers in that one. So that looked like a salary dump where the Mets get, you know, some kind of rotation insurance policy in in Hauser, maybe their number five starter, and a guy like Tyrone Taylor who could actually play as much as Bader and possibly out hit Bader. Like that's well within the range of outcomes for him. I think just based on what he's done as more of a part time guy in Milwaukee, but. There Better you go. than DJ Stewart, you know, like a, a good fourth Pro- outfielder. Yeah, probably huh? probably better than DJ Stewart. DJ Stewart's a little bit interesting for deep, deep leagues. I think th- they're, they're going to be battling a little bit for playing time. And then as the season goes on, if the Mets are bad, um, they may both lose out playing time to Vientos. Vientos is just tough because I don't know if he has a defensive position where he's even like really passable at the big league level. I think that's going to work really hard against them. He has to hit a lot to force the issue uh, with his bat. Uh, we are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $2 a month for the first year. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels will bring you to that offer. Uh, on Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. 